Our word of the day today is hope. And that may sound strange to those of you who are here uh, that have not put hope in Christ. But for those of you that are here who have put your faith in Christ, you understand that today is about hope. I promise you before you leave today, uh, even if you've not made that uh, declaration of faith in Christ, uh, you will understand the reason for the hope that we have. We also come together in a setting like this because there's strength and there's comfort in the body. Uh, The scripture talks about the body of Christ and what it does. And over the last week, we've watched the body of Christ in action. And the church doesn't always get a lot of good press, uh, but I've seen uh, some good this last week. I've seen the church at its finest. And uh, thank you for being here today to support this family during this time. I want to share with you right from the outset the reason for the hope that we have. As I was going through scriptures that dealt with hope just this past week, uh, I was absolutely flabbergasted really by the number of times hope is used in the scripture. I guess I've always known that, uh, but uh, I was really just uh, thrown, thrown back by it. But I want to share some of them with you because even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the apostle Paul teaching about grief says we grieve with hope. And that should look way different than those who grieve with no hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter four, he says, brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so that you will grieve like people who have hope. Hope in our culture means to wish, to desire, uh, uncertain, but hope in the scripture is a certain thing. It's a foundational thing. In the Psalms, we're told in Psalm 39, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. In Psalm 43, verse five, it says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. In Psalm 119, verse 81, it says, I am worn out waiting for your rescue but I have put my hope in your word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, the apostle Paul tells us that a lot of the things that we see are just temporary things, but there are three things that last forever, faith, hope, and love. In Romans chapter 15, Paul says, these things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we patiently wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. Romans 5 assures us this hope will never lead to disappointment, for we know how God dearly loves us because he's given us his Holy Spirits to fill our hearts with his love. In Hebrews chapter 6, the author writes, Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts, in order to make certain that which you hope for to come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull or indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. And this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain and into God's sanctuary. One last scripture and maybe one of my favorites from Romans chapter 4 
Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted it to him as righteousness. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted it to him as righteousness. The faith, the hope that this family has displayed over this last week uh, is, pleases the heart of God so much, fully convinced that God can be trusted in everything. Today, we're gonna begin this time together with a time of worship. And I wanna invite you to stand with me and our worship team is gonna come to the platform. We wanna put our trust and our hope in God right from the outset. And Father, today we do that. We trust you. We don't always understand the things that we see. We don't always understand, God, the circumstances and the events of our lives, but we always know that you can be trusted. Your promises never fail. And we put our absolute confidence today, our hope in your promises, knowing that you will bring to pass everything you've promised to bring to pass. God, we trust you. We love you. Thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for showing us what love is. Thank you for putting your love in our hearts so that today we can experience this hope. So Father, today we just wanna declare our trust, our love, our hope to you in these songs. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts today with your peace, with your love and your comfort as we worship you together in Jesus' name. Oh 
end draws near and the time has come still my soul will sing your praise today as an anchor for our soul. Be glorified in all we do and say. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The passage of scripture I read to you from Hebrews chapter 6. I want to read a portion of that again. It says, do these things and you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and their endurance. I just want to say thank you, John and Heather, for being those examples to us. Um, We love you guys. Judah Jeffrey Mullen, the infant son of Jonathan and Heather Mullen, was taken into Jesus' arms on October the 16th, 2015, at Sanford USD Medical Center in Sioux Falls. Thankful for the opportunity to celebrate and cherish Judah's life are his parents, Jonathan and Heather Molin of Huron, his brother Elijah, his grandparents, Keith and Patty Molin of Ellendale, North Dakota, Jeffrey and Shelley Kessler of Avon, Montana, great-grandparents Alvin and Evelyn Kessler of Washington, and Arthur and Dorothy Holm, of Deer Lodge, Montana, his aunts, Kimberly McIntyre, Jessica Kessler, Janae Mullen, Brittany Johnson, Jennifer Brooks, Naomi Rosario, Jacqueline Kessler, uncles, Nathaniel Mullen, David Kessler, Mikey Rosario, Jared Brooks, Eric Johnson, Kyle McIntyre, and cousin Nolan. The family wants to thank God for giving Jude a life and for the opportunity to hold him in their arms. Elijah will miss his brother dearly, but since the two boys look so much alike, they will easily recognize each other when they see one another again. Judah was preceded in death by his great-grandparents, Carmen Waldo 
and Isaac Gonzalez. At this time, both uh, Pastor John and Heather uh, want to address you as friends and family, and so they're going to do that at this time. Praise the Lord. That's what Judah's name means, praise. God is a faithful God, and he's so good to us. Uh, We want to say thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, We really uh, never experienced family uh, quite the same way before. Uh, You guys have really, I feel, gone from friends and become family members, and we're so thankful for all of your prayers. Um, Some people... We don't even know, uh, and yet you've carried the torch and prayed for our son, and, and you've prayed for us through this healing process. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank you for being here, honoring our son, honor, honoring our family. I want to share just one verse uh, from Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's a book written by King Solomon, king of Judah, king of uh, Israel, I guess, third, third king. It's Ecclesiastes 7.2. It says that it's better to go a house, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to, to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. So we're all living, so we should take this to heart. I don't know about you, but I would love to be in that other room, not at a funeral, but feasting and having a good time. You know, maybe your favorite drink is a Red Bull. Maybe it's soda. Maybe it's whatever your favorite drink is and your favorite uh, meal, whether it's a steak, whether it's, you know, uh, a, a Subway sandwich, whatever it is. I would rather be doing something else uh, than being at a funeral mourning my son's death. But the Bible says it's better to be here than it is there. And it says that we should take this to heart. And, and you know, when I, as I read this and as I pondered it, uh, death is something that's imminent and it's coming. A hundred years ago, you didn't exist. And a hundred years from now, you will exist somewhere in heaven or in hell. And I'm not here to scare you out of hell and to make Jesus Lord of your life. That's not what this is about. Uh, what, I, what I'm here to share with you is I want to show you, really, um, my son Judah, he's passed away in the flesh. He's died. Uh, we believe, Scripture teaches that, we, we, we think that Judah's with, with the Father, loved, and, and for the rest of eternity, Judah is safe and secure. Um, it's not because Judah was perfect, that he was without sin. That's not the reason. The reason why he's in heaven is because Jesus paid a penalty fine. He, he wiped clear the debt. And when he said it is finished, he was actually saying paid in full. And so I just want to share a little bit about my story, my life before Jesus. You know, I grew up in the church. Uh, I, 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 I sat in the pews, wept at the altar, and uh, I, I did all the different uh, youth events. I did all the, you know... 
all the different ministries you can be a part of. And I honestly, on the outside, I looked just like any other church attender. I looked good on the outside. I looked like I had a relationship with God. But honestly, I remember there were times in my bedroom that I would go home and I would pray. I'd be praying out loud just, you know, because I knew this is what we're supposed to do. God, you know, please, you know, feed my belly, you know, help keep my family members safe, you know, just going through the words. And the thought, the tempter came and he said, you're praying to nobody. You're here alone. There's no God. This is all just you. This is just a big cult. This is just a big thing that you've made up. And so I have, I'm, I, I analyzed everything. You know, what are my motives? What am I doing? What am I, and I remember sitting in my bedroom thinking, God, you're not real. And, and that was the pattern of my lifestyle. I got, got addicted to different things, um, just as this life uh, behind the scenes. I got addicted to, to pornography. I, got, I started lying all the time. I had to become a professional liar because, you know, I was a saint and I couldn't look like a sinner. And I remember uh, rebelling. I constantly dishonored. I mean, I'd be nice to your face. And then the next day when you left, I would, I, would, I would totally talk down on you just so that I can draw a laugh from the people around me. I remember getting to the point where I, I, I still attended church even in the midst of my sinful lifestyle. And I remember thinking like, this is so, church is so boring if I'm going to just keep doing this. This is just so ridiculous. I'm trying to act one way, but I'm, I'm not fooling anyone. And, and when God started letting me see myself as sick on the inside... Is, is man, I got a problem here, hypocrite. And I gave that church the, uh, that reputation. I was a professional hypocrite. I remember getting sick of where I was at, and I was at Bible camp, and I'd heard the, the message about Jesus a million times before. As Jesus died for our sins. Yeah, I know that. But the Holy Spirit began to reach inside of my soul, and he started convincing me that I was dead on the inside, that I was, I was gone. There was no heartbeat. I was dead, just like Judah is, except for Judah's physically dead. I was spiritually dead. You know, 100 years ago, like I said, none of us existed. What was it like? I don't know. We weren't there. In 100 years from now, we will exist. And that concerned me. That concerned my soul. Because in Revelations, it talks about how there was a great white throne and then the books were opened and we were judged according to our deeds. And the Bible clearly declares that one sin deems us, deems us guilty. I mean, if, if you've lied, we've fallen out of God's plan, we've fallen out of his perfect will for our lives and, and I know that I was 10 steps past that. I was, I was my whole life, 10 years of lying. Uh, I, I just, I constantly... Uh, was just fake around people. I wasn't real. I said, God, if you're real, you have to get me out of this mess. And uh, let me tell you, that moment on at camp, and I'd prayed a million times before, but that time at camp, I, was, I said, God, I'm sick of where I'm at. Something has to change. It's only going to be you, Jesus. And so I said, Jesus, please come into my life. Change my life. I, I don't want to just make you an add-on to my life. I want you to replace the vision, the focus that I have, make me your son. Make me, make me, uh, just give me your heart. Let your kingdom come and build it in my life. And so with that, visions, uh, not, not visions, but um, just the direction of where I was heading had to change. 
I had to start changing towards what the word said. This is the only thing that never changes. Our culture changes. Uh, what's appropriate changes. What's uh, socially acceptable changes. But the word will never change. And so um, I had to start turning to that. And I remember just uh, getting lost in it. I, I actually felt like I need to read this because I need it to guide my, my steps. And, and, um, and let me tell you, from that moment on, have I ever messed up once? Absolutely. I, I've messed up plenty of times. I've messed up with lying and dishonor and, and lust. I've done those things in my life since accepting Christ. But it's not about have I fallen since then. It's about, Jesus, if you're my father and you over, overlook those sins now that I'm part of your family member, it's about continuing to walk in faith. God, it's not about, uh, it's not about works anymore. You know, before... We, we try to, uh, before Jesus, we try to live our life in such a way that's perfect. But when we come to Jesus, it's not about living a perfect lifestyle. It's about simply having him as our father. There's no other name that, by which we must be saved but by Jesus. And at that moment, uh, Jesus made himself real to me. It's been, it's, I have an app that counts the days of how long I've, I've made that commitment to Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, a few thousand days. And every day has been blessed. And every day, God helps me. When I fall, when I stumble, he says, it's all right, get back up. Because it's not about works anymore. Before, it was about works. When you have Jesus, it's not about works anymore. It's about him, if he's really inside of us. And so, maybe you can relate with me. Maybe you're sitting in the pew and you, you know what I'm talking about. You know that the addictions or you know the, the, the fakeness or the lying or the dishonor. Maybe you understand that. And in just a little bit, you're going to hear just kind of a more full message of, of what Jesus does. But I just want you to draw the parallel. The reason why I can stand up here and even share a message more or less without, without notes, uh, speaking at my son's funeral is because I really do believe I really do believe and have hope that Jesus, man, he has Judah all wrapped up in his arms. I believe it. And, and no one can take that from us. You know, it might sound crazy, but I believe it. And so, just something to ponder. Uh, I once was dead, but now I'm alive, whether I'm living or whether I'm dead, because of Jesus, the author of life. So, this is my wife, Heather. Uh, she just wants to share. Okay, well, the reason why I wanted to share today was because I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of behind the scenes, because um, this is, you know, a big tragedy, and, um, you know, no one should have to go through this, and God doesn't want us to have to go through this, but um, he allows things, and sometimes that can seem evil to us, and I just wanted to stand here before you and tell you how wonderful of a father that he's been to me, um, and absolutely no evil in it at all. Um, you know, as I held my son, and he was dying, and he only had minutes left, um, I started sinking into what felt like quicksand. I felt so confused, and so alone, and so helpless, and so lost, and, um, you know, for a moment, and, uh, you know, I just reached out in my heart, and I just said, God, like, help me, help me, and I heard my husband's voice, 
start singing so loud and clear, this song that we just sang, The 10,000 Reasons. And he was so strong, and I could barely speak. And my hands were so heavy, but just slowly as, you know, with every effort that I had, I just started lifting my hands, and we all started singing. And I couldn't get any words out at first, but after, after a, a bit, you know, I just forced them, like, God will hear my praise. And, and the louder I praised him, the more my pain left. And it just, it just kind of fell away. And there are times that have been so, so hard. But every time those times come, we just reach out and praise God. And it's, it's healing. It's so healing to our hearts. It's so, um, it just changes everything. And I mean, if you guys just, you guys have all been through pain. All of us have. And, um, I just, I just wanted to share that because he is such a good God. He loves us so much. As soon as the fog cleared, I remembered the night that I found out that I was pregnant. <laughs> and um, it was a very, very strange night. I couldn't fall asleep. It was, it was uh, April 1st. <laughs> it was April Fool's Day. I didn't tell John I was pregnant because I wanted him to believe me. <laughs> And uh, so I was like, I'll, I'll tell him tomorrow. But I was laying in, I was laying in bed, and um, it was so weird. Like this, just God's heart was going through my mind of um, troubles coming, and I just felt like troubles were coming, and I didn't know why, but somehow I knew it was connected with the baby. And um, I, I just grabbed a pen and paper, and I wrote down something that I thought he was kind of saying to me, and. And I, I want to share it with you this, the night that I found out I was pregnant. I will, I will make a way for you in the wilderness, in the desert, in the parched land. I will make a way, and I will not slumber or sleep until I have made a way. And um, I just wanted to share that with you guys. Throughout my whole pregnancy, I've been praying for strength to endure whatever comes at the end of this pregnancy. And I had no idea it would end in the death of my baby. But I just wanted to share, he's, he's so good, and he's, he's taking us every single step of the way. So um, in a time of mourning, I wanted, to, I wanted to celebrate his love for us as well. So thank you guys. Again, thank you so much, everyone, for just supporting us every step of the way. We love every one of you. Thanks.
what you've seen today is a miracle. That's the grace of God. That's the power of God to be able to walk through a time like this, like that. Um, one of the things I love about Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, we in the church call the faith chapter, um, all of the giants of faith, the men and women of God that are, in our mind, way above us. Um, but what I love about the scripture is it's real. And so in this faith giant chapter, we have uh, men and women like Noah who got drunk and passed out in his tent. We have Moses who killed a man to try to make the will of God happen. We have Abraham who we already read uh, never wavered in his faith. Um, I don't know how to reconcile that with Ishmael, um, but you know it says he never wavered but yet didn't trust God to send the child through his wife, so he tried to create it another way, but uh, he's in there. David, who committed adultery and then murdered uh, that woman's wife to, her husband, excuse me, to try to cover it up. Uh, Rahab the prostitute and many others in this faith chapter. I'll be the first to tell you that John and Heather are not perfect people. Heather's closer than John. <laughs> I promise you there are days he drives me nuts. Um, they're imperfect people. That's the grace of God. That's the power of God. Now you can go home and tell everyone, I witnessed a miracle at a funeral today. John alluded to the fact that Judah is safe in Jesus' arms. And uh, I don't want to give you a full discourse for why we believe that, but I want to give you a little bit because I don't know that we should just wish that he's in the Father's arms. Uh, we should build our lives on the, the, the foundation of Scripture and not just what we feel would be right or appropriate. I mean, not one of us in this room would look at an, an infant like this who never even really had a chance to draw his own first breath and say that uh, that baby is not in the arms of God. Uh, but I, I want us to be able to build our faith on the foundation of the Word. And so, you know, I want to answer that question just briefly about where babies go when they die. The Bible doesn't clearly come out and tell us that all babies go to heaven. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't provide a foundation or a hope for us. It does give us some answers. Back in the book of Second um, Samuel chapter 12, David, when he loses his infant son, says, I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. We can conclude in this verse that David believed that his infant son was taken to heaven. That infant son who was conceived in adultery and followed up with murder, David believed in his heart that that child was in heaven. David in the book of Acts is considered a man after God's own heart. And I find it difficult to believe that God would allow something to be written in his word uh, as a foundational truth for our lives and not correct it later if that were in error. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I believe that David's statement can be a foundation for what happens to children when they die. 
Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 trying to teach his disciples and the people around him that children matter and children are important when they were trying to get the children away from Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Jesus, in my thought, is emphasizing that children have what is necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven. That childlike trust and faith and innocence, if you will, uh, leads them to be people that have the qualities of those in the kingdom of God. I think it's a solid conclusion for us that babies cannot make a conscious choice. For those of us that have had children, uh, we understand that our, our children don't cry because they're trying to irritate us. We know that that's their way of communicating. They have no other way. They are developing their consciousness or awareness. And so in the church, many times we refer to an age of accountability or an age where children come to a place where they're accountable for their actions, but I would rather call it maybe an age of moral awareness. There has to come a point in a child's life where they're able to cognitively make a decision of what to do with what Christ has done for us. I think the scripture is very clear on what Christ has done for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that salvation has been offered to all men because of the death of Jesus on the cross. This is what it says. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's salvation. God dealt with our sin at the cross. He no longer counts our sins against us. Now, we must fully cooperate with that, but I don't know that a child has the cognitive ability to fully cooperate with that. So I trust that God is no longer counting Judah's sins against him, because Judah couldn't make that effort, that choice, that cognitive decision. In John chapter three, verse 18, Jesus said, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. I don't think Judah made a choice not to believe in God. I don't think he was capable of making a choice to believe in God, and so, in my understanding of scripture, God no longer counts his sins against him because of what Christ has done. Judah was born with a sin nature. The Psalm tells us that we're born with that nature. He has the same need for a savior that you and I have. And I believe Jesus is his savior. As I said, that's not a full discourse on what happens to babies when they die. Most of us don't have a hard time accepting that as truth. I just wanted to be sure that our hope wasn't a wish, but that it was grounded in the truth of the word. So there's a lot more I can share on it, but I feel like a second and possibly even more important truth needs to be shared with you. 
While there's not a defining scripture on the fate of babies, scripture is unashamedly clear about our fate. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, each one is appointed once to die, and after that, to face a judgment. Romans chapter 3 begins a discourse that the Apostle Paul, over the next several chapters in the book of Romans, explains to us about our condition. He tells us clearly in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that every one of us has sinned and broken God's law. And a result of that comes in Romans 6.23, the wages of that or the result of sin is death. That's the penalty for our sin. When we reach a point as, as children where we are able to start cognitively making that decision and that choice with what to do with Christ, which by the way, parents is the reason that we are admonished in the scripture to train up a child in the way that they should go and we're to lead them early on in life the, uh, to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. We're to train them in that way to make that decision on their own. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the thing is, is we did nothing to initiate this. In fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, while we were his enemies, God died for us. While we were his enemies, he reached out to us. You were not a good person when he sent his son to die on a cross for you. We're wicked. There's none that is righteous. No, not one. And yet God reached out to us in his love and in his mercy and sent his son to deal with sin so he could no longer count our sins against us but offer free, this free gift of salvation to us if we will cooperate with him. And Paul tells us how to do that in Romans chapter 10. He kind of ends this discourse, if you will, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what you do. That doesn't seem right because if I look at all of the things I've done wrong in my life, surely I have to pay for those. Surely I have to do some kind of, of Christian service now after the fact so that I can prove that I'm worthy of that. We will never be worthy of that. That's what makes it so amazing. It is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That's how Paul ends that discourse. We have to believe that what Christ did on the cross totally and completely pays for our sin. And then openly declare his lordship with our mouth and with our lives. We surrender our will to him. We come into his kingdom, we choose to live there freely, to live by his laws, to live under his jurisdiction, and know that he loves us, and that he is always working for our good. See, John and Heather today can certainly say that they will see Judah again, because they have believed in what Christ has done, and they've confessed him as Lord. And so with absolute trust and absolute certainty, they believe in what Christ has done. 
They have absolute trust and confidence that he has the power to heal as they've prayed. They have power, that he has power to raise the dead. And they have absolute trust that no matter what happens in life, no matter what the outcome is, he loves us and we are willing to surrender everything to him. You know, in, in the scriptures, we're told the story of Abraham. And God said to Abraham, the son that I promised you, I want you to take him and I want you to put him on the altar and I want you to sacrifice him to me. You know the story that Abraham, the next morning, got up and he went to the mountain and he raised a knife to slay his son when God said, stop. You and I may never be called on to lay our child on the altar, but that's what it looks like to surrender everything to him and trust that he is indeed working for our good. John and Heather have committed their lives to tell everyone about this salvation. They understand what it means to be Christ's ambassadors and not because he's a pastor. For people in a moment like this to be able when your, your child is, is passing from this life to cognitively turn to doctors and nurses and ask them if they know Jesus and they know the hope that we have in Christ isn't because you're a pastor. When none of us are gonna be aware of that moment and the only reason we are is because a family member blabbed, which I'm glad they did. It's about the hope that lives in them. In 2 Peter chapter, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, and always, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone. Peter says, Who asks? John figures if they're in the room, they asked. For the hope that you have, and do it with gentleness and respect. So the question is, how about you? Do you know for certain that you're gonna see Judah again? The impact that this little boy in just a few short days has had on the lives of people, uh, not just in this community, but literally around the world, uh, is staggering. I urge you today to put your absolute trust in Christ's work on the cross to surrender your life fully to him, to surrender your will fully to him, and to trust his way as best. I know if you have more questions about salvation, I'd love to talk to you. I know that John and Heather would love to talk to you. And I know that they'd love to hear how this moment has changed your life. I'd encourage you to share that with them. Hebrews 9.27 again says that all of us is appointed to die and face the judgment. And as John said, moments like these are given to us to reflect and to make sure that we understand that life is but a vapor. And what we do with the sacrifice that Christ made for us is all that matters. And that's our hope. That's what anchors our soul when our emotions and our mind and our thoughts are all going all over the place. The hope that we have in Christ is what anchors our hearts. That's what anchors us in times of grief and in times of sorrow and in times of pain. Today, if you've never done that, I'd urge you to believe in what Christ has done on the cross 
Believe that in your heart and openly declare that Jesus is Lord and surrender yourself to him. And so Father, in this moment, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. We thank you that while you were our enemies, you came to us. You didn't wait for us to reach out to you. You initiated contact with us. When you were completely just to wipe us out and give us what our sins deserved, you extended mercy. You withheld that judgment, and not only that, but you gave grace. You gave your only son for us so that when we put our belief in you, when we put our confidence in you, when we confess you as Lord, you bring us into the kingdom as your sons and your daughters, not even as your servants, not even as your slaves, but as your sons and as your daughters. And Father, I pray that every person in this room would understand that truth. I pray that as your word says, the veil that covers our eyes and keeps us from being able to fully understand what Christ has done, that that would be removed today and that everyone would understand the love that you have poured out on us, that they would understand the sacrifice your son made on our behalf. They would put their confidence in you and declare you as their Lord. Today, I wanna give you that opportunity. If you're here today and you say, I have never put confidence in Christ, but today I believe in his sacrifice for me and I want to openly declare Jesus Christ is my Lord. If that's you, would you just right now just slip up your hand and say, that's me. I want to declare that Jesus is Lord. We're not gonna ask you to move. I'm not gonna ask you to pray. I just want you to make that open declaration right now if for the first time that Jesus is my Lord. Father, thank you again for this moment. Thank you for your grace that sustains us and helps us and carries us through every moment of our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that your comfort and your peace would literally surround and overwhelm this family in the days and the weeks and the months ahead until you return. May their faith be strengthened and encouraged in this moment. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. There is a committal service that's scheduled immediately following this service at Riverside Cemetery. There will be a lunch that will follow that uh, here at the church. We wanna thank you again for being here and uh, expressing your love and your support to John, to Heather, and to their family. Um, John and Heather have invited some family and some friends to gather with them for a moment of prayer um, and so we're gonna be dismissing the congregation here in just a moment to give them uh, this opportunity to pray together. And so if you would just wait out in the, the foyer area and give them uh, this moment uh, to pray together. And Jason Bennett and our worship team is gonna lead us in a song as you're being dismissed.
river.